Good. It is. Uh, it's good to. It's good to be back with you. Um, grateful for Mark and uh, his willingness to hold it down uh, the last couple of weeks. Um, did an awesome job. Hey, I'm. Uh, I'm believing that today is. Uh, it's going to be a good day. Um, me and Bobby. Bobby sitting here. We got the same shirt on today. That's got to be a good sign, right? Show me your shirt, Bobby. Hey, it's picture day. Um, so. We dress the same, so I'm feeling good about that. The, uh, the story that we are going to be talking about today, we're in the fourth part of our Lost and Found series, fourth and final part, and the story that we're going to be looking at today is known as the, uh, the parable of the lost coin. We're going to look at the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost coin is the second of three parables that Jesus shared with the Pharisees and the scribes who were questioning why he spent so much time hanging out with what they believed to be the wrong sorts of people. Like, uh, we know this about the Pharisees and scribes. They were really frustrated with Jesus for eating with tax collectors and sinners. And they didn't know why he spent so much time doing those things. And so in Luke 15, we get this triad of parables. And these parables are all Jesus responding to that particular critique, that particular criticism. Now, uh, you all know these stories. The, the first one is uh, the parable of the lost sheep. And that's the one where there's a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off and the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one to bring it back into the flock. And the second one is the one that we are about to look at today. I think it's probably the least known of the, the three, the one at the center. And the last one, which is like Jesus, you know, the big closer, his big finisher, is the story of the prodigal son, which uh, Mark's done a pretty awesome job preaching on the last couple of weeks. Now, I want us to go ahead and pray together before we dig into the word this morning. And I'm going to ask you to join me in praying for two very specific things. I want us to be praying this morning for uh, illumination and application. I want to be praying for illumination and application. And I honestly believe, church, that every time we open the Word of God, that that should be the perspective through which the lens through which we're viewing God's Word. We open the book and we go, God, illuminate your Word for us. Reveal to us some truths in it. And don't just reveal it to us, but show us how to apply it. Reveal truth and show us how to apply the truth. So we're talking this morning. We're praying for illumination and application. Pray with me if you would. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, and we are about to, we're about to read directly from your word, and I pray that you would speak to your people today. God, I know about this one, and, and you know about it too, because we've been working through this text for the last few days. You took me somewhere I didn't expect to go, but here we are, and, um, and I'm trusting that you took me where you wanted to go. And so, because of that, I believe that you've got something to say, and so illuminate your word today for your people. Reveal truth to them and don't just reveal it to them because I don't just want them to be hearers of the word, but I want them to be doers. Show them how to apply it. When they walk out of these doors today, I pray that they would leave different than they came in, not because of anything I said or the quality of our music or anything like that, but because they had an encounter with the king. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's do this. Luke 15. 8 through 10. This is what it says. 
It says, or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know, since the 1960s, there has been this sort of uh, urban legend. It's kind of like a, it's, it's sort of a ghost story, the kind of thing that gets told at sleepovers and stuff like that. The sort of story that I bet uh, most of you have heard or seen in, in a movie, it's kind of a tired trope. But um, the story goes like this. Uh, there is a, there's a babysitter. And the babysitter gets invited over to watch a couple of kids so um, some parents, their parents can go out on on a date. And um, as it turns out, the kids are already up in the bedroom and they are asleep. And so the babysitter is just going to get to chill. She's going to like sit on the couch and watch a movie or something like that. Well, while she's on the couch, uh, the, the phone rings. And she goes over and she answers the phone and all she can hear is somebody breathing um, through the other line. And this makes her a little bit nervous, but she just assumes it's a prank call and she hangs the phone up. Because apparently in the 1960s, people didn't make prank calls about trying to find Purple Powerade. You know what I'm saying, guys? Okay, you feel me. That's a... That's an, in, that's an insider. So she hangs up the phone, and she goes over, and she sits back down on the couch. And while she's sitting on the couch, the phone rings a, again. And this time, there's like a very scary voice on the other end of the line. And the voice whispers to her and says, uh, you better go check on the kids. You better go check on the kids. And now she's like really anxious. And so she's scared and she walks around the house and she locks all the doors and she latches all the windows. She's trying to make sure that nobody's after her or anything like that. And as soon as she's about to sit down, the phone rings again. And this time she answers the phone and the voice on the other end shouts very, you better go check on the kids. And now she's so scared she's paralyzed. Like she can't make her, her legs move. And so she hangs up the phone and she picks it right back up and she immediately calls the operator. And in some variations of the story, she calls the police, but she calls the operator and she tells the operator what's going on and she asks the operator, hey, is there any way you can trace this call um, to, to find out if I'm in danger or not? Like, I'm, I'm really nervous about this. And so the operator, you know, clicks off the phone from it and then comes back on the phone and she says to the babysitter in a very worried voice, she says, honey, you're going to need to get out of the house as quickly as possible. And the babysitter says, why? And the operator says, what? The call is coming from inside the house. You all went to the same sleepovers I went to when I was a kid. That's kind of weird. But that's, that's how the story goes. They go, the call is coming from inside the house. And, and that's the thing that makes this, you know, this story particularly frightening because she's ultimately just locked herself and her tormentor inside the house. Like That's what makes the, this story, I think, a pretty good story is that uh, it's an inside job. Her tormentor is in the house. Now... Admittedly, this may seem like an odd connection to you, okay? And this might just be uh, a revelation to how 
my broken brain works. But the same thing to me that makes that urban legend scary actually makes the parable of the lost coin frightening as well. Think about it. In the story that Jesus tells, there's a lady, and she's got ten coins, and each one of those coins is worth about a day's wage. And to her, this is a significant amount of money, and she loses one of those coins somewhere in the house, and she immediately begins to scour the whole house trying to find it. And once she does find it, she calls her friends and neighbors, and she has them over uh, to throw a party to celebrate what she's found. And while there are many beautiful things that this story reveals to us about the character of God and his pursuit of humanity, the thing that scares me the most about this parable is that the coin is lost inside the house. The coin is lost inside the house. The call was coming from inside the house. The coin was lost inside the house. And that to me is what makes this parable frightening. It is an inside job. Church, hear me out. One of the things that I think this parable is meant to teach us is that it is possible to be lost inside the house. It is possible to be lost inside the house. This parable, the center of that triad of parables, it hits differently than the other two parables, if you dig into it quite a bit. I mean, think about it. That first one, in the first one that talks about the sheep, the sheep wandered away from the flock. It left home. It went into different fields. In the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal left home. The Bible says he went on a journey to a far country, but this one is different. The setting for this one is right here. The problem in this story is not a problem of proximity or a problem of location. In this one, we know that the coin is lost, but we also know that it's lost really close by. Now, I think there is a kind of lostness that the Bible often speaks to that is of the type that where it's like Jesus goes out into the streets and he finds sinners and he brings them into the fold. That's the sort of lostness that I think most of us are familiar with. That's the kind that I think we most often speak about in the church. But I think the Bible also alludes to this sort of lostness that exists right here. Like a, a, a lostness that can be present within the flock. The sort of lostness that can be alive and well right inside the church's walls. Does anybody know what I'm saying? It's clear there, there's certainly a, a lostness, an out there sort of lostness. But I think there's also an in here sort of lostness. You know, it is possible for you to come to church every Sunday and to do all the right things and to say all the right things and for your heart to still be far from God. That's, that's possible. 
it is possible for you to consistently be within proximity of God, but to have never submitted to the will of God. That's possible. It's possible that you're right here, right now, singing the songs, taking notes, and you still don't have a relationship with the king. You're just as lost as the day is long. That is possible. There is an out there sort of lostness. And I think we focus on that one a lot in the church, but there is also an in here sort of lostness that I think we tend to ignore. And some of you know what I'm talking about uh, because you feel it. Like, you, you know, and this is my, I'm, I'm talking about you. Like, maybe uh, you grew up in church. You've been in church your whole life. And yet, if you're willing to just take a, a step back and take an honest assessment of your own life, you realize there's no spiritual growth, no steps of faith, no Holy Spirit power. Listen to me, friends. It is possible to be lost inside the house. It's possible. Some of you have played the church game so long that it doesn't even feel like a game to you anymore. Like some of you have pretended to be found so long, doesn't even feel like you're lost. But listen to me, if what you have isn't real, it won't hold. If what you have isn't real, it won't hold. Let me give you some examples of what I think lostness might look like inside the house, inside the church. We might be talking here about a person whose private character doesn't match their public persona, a person who loves both the stage and the shadows a bit too much. We might be talking here about a person who can quote the Bible but who doesn't do what it says, a person who has knowledge but lacks obedience. We might be talking here about a person who wants responsibility, but without accountability. They want to be seen, but they don't want to be challenged. We might be talking here about a person who wants to be served, but they don't want to serve. Who wants to be fed, but they don't ever want to feed. A selfishness that is consistently cloaked in humility. We might be talking here about a person who claims to know Christ, but who isn't growing in love. A person who should be becoming, over time, more loving and more compassionate, but instead is becoming more bitter and more cynical. Church, you can be in the house and still be lost. I believe that. You can be in the house and still be, still be lost, and to me, that's really the scariest kind of, of lostness because it can be really difficult to identify. It's really hard to admit, and rarely do we have people in our lives who love us enough to call us out on it. Listen to me for a moment. If what you have isn't real, if your faith is only a facade. If you have never truly been found, then for you, there's no salvation, no heaven, and no hope. Nobody has ever faked their way into the kingdom of God. 
and you will not be the first one. Do you hear me? Nobody's ever pretended their way into heaven. It, it doesn't work like that. And, and I don't say that to you because uh, I want to be mean or because I, I want to, to scare you or anything like that. No, I say it to you because I want you to have the real thing. Like, I say it to you because I love you, and if you're lost, I want you to be found. I mean, you can be lost inside the house. That's the bad news. Good news is you can also be found inside the house. The call was coming from inside the house. The coin was lost inside the house. And to me, those are the things that make both of those stories particularly frightening. Now, here's the good news. And it really is good news. If the parable of the lost coin is meant to teach us anything, it is that the God of the universe is relentlessly pursuing all of humanity. Let me say that to you in a different way. Uh, My God is at all times coming after you. He is coming after you. You might be able to hide your lostness from me, and you might be able to hide it from other people, You might even sometimes be able to convince yourself that you aren't lost, but you know who you can't hide it from? God. He sees, he knows, and he pursues. And he will not rest until the whole house is checked. He will not rest until every piece of furniture in the house has been overturned. He will not rest until he has swept the whole place every nook and cranny. Ultimately, church, he will not rest until he finds you and you're back in his arms where you belong, back in his hand. Bad news, you can be lost in the house. Good news, you can be found in the house. He's looking there too. He's not just looking out in the streets. He's not just looking out at the homeless. He's not just looking out at your place. He's looking right here. You can be found right here. If you're lost, as long as there's still breath on your lungs, you can still be found. Now, I think this is an important truth from this story. It's something that I, I found particularly interesting, and, and this is it. You know, just because you're lost doesn't mean you've lost your value. Like, just because you're lost doesn't mean you've lost your value. And all I mean by that is if, if I've lost a nickel just because I don't have the nickel anymore, nickel, wherever it is, it's still worth a nickel. The same thing is true when we talk about this story. Even if you're in the place this morning and you know you're lost, you still haven't lost your value. You are a treasure that God deemed worth pursuing. He is coming after you. Just because you're lost, you don't mean you've lost your value. All it means is you've lost your usefulness. You haven't lost your value, you've lost your usefulness. The coin, that silver coin that was lost in the house, it was still worth the the day's wages wherever it was hidden, but it didn't become useful until it got back in the lady's arms who had lost it. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. I hope I can find it here. A couple of weeks ago, after the service, somebody at a church lost this $50 O'Charlie's gift card. Okay? And if you're here and this belongs to you, it was just laying on the ground. Somebody picked it up and handed it to me after the service. Like, hey, I just found this somewhere and I didn't want to keep it. I didn't know what else to do with it. So I gave it to you, kind of hoping you could find the person that it belongs to. And so if you're here and this belongs to you, you can come get it right now. Like, I know that's risky, but if if you know you dropped this a couple of weeks ago, 
And if you're afraid, you can get it after the service. It's just if you get it after the service, you owe me a piece of caramel pie for being honest and, and returning it to you. Okay? Um, but I got home that day, and I thought, well, maybe it's just somebody just dropped a card that they've used before. And so I called, and I checked, and now there's still $50 on it. I mean, it's $38 now because I ordered some chicken tenders. But that's not true. There's still, there's still $50 on this card. And the thing about it is, whoever lost it, it's, it's lost, but it's still worth $50. You know what I mean? Like wherever it was found, like just because it was lost doesn't mean it lost its value. The problem was uh, whoever lost it to them, it was no longer useful. And if I can take the card today and find out whether somebody watching online or somebody in the room and find the person that the card belongs to, then I can give it to them. And then their hands, because that's who it belongs to, the card is both valuable and it is useful. Church, the same thing is true for you. In the right hands, you are both valuable and useful. You're always valuable. If you weren't, he wouldn't, spend, he wouldn't pursue you with everything that he has. You always have valuable, but in his hands, you become useful. Like when we're doing this thing right, he's the potter and we're the clay. He's the artist, we are the canvas. He is the primary actor and we are just the stagehands. Listen to me. Nobody can do as much with a life as my God can. Nobody can. And in the right hands, you aren't just valuable, but you're useful. You know, when it comes to repentance, I think uh, a lot of us stop short. Like when it comes to repentance, I think a lot of us stop short. And maybe this doesn't make sense, but let me, let me explain it to you, okay? Um, I think a lot of times when we repent, when we try to turn back to God and we try to lay some stuff down, like lay some sin down, lay some problems down, I think a lot of times we do that from selfish motives. And all I mean by that is we repent, we go to God and we apologize for things just because we don't want to carry that stuff anymore. Like we go to God and we go, God, I'm, I'm sorry I did this. Please remove this weight from me. I don't want to feel this guilt anymore. I don't want to feel this shame anymore. Like I think a lot of times when we repent, we do it because we want God to clear our consciences. But the clearing of your conscience was never God's end game. He purifies you. He finds you so he can use you. He washes the outside and the inside of the cup so he can use the cup. Amen. The reason the lady in the story is looking for the coin is because she, she wants to find the coin so she can use the coin. She can spend it. The reason God is searching for you, relentlessly pursuing you, is because he wants to use you. Repentance is, is about more than just the clearing of your conscience. It's about the growth of the kingdom. And that's a big truth. He's not just finding you for you. He's finding you so he can use you. In his hands, you become both valuable and useful. Now, there are two questions that I think we can ask ourselves. If you are wondering today whether or not you might be lost. I think there are two questions that can be pretty revealing um, for people who are lost inside the house. 
And this is the first question you can ask yourself. Question number one, am I growing in love? Am I growing in love? When I look back at the trajectory of my life, am I becoming more like Jesus? Am I growing in sanctification? Am I growing in love? Can I see that developing? Am I growing in love? Question number one. Question number two, is my life currently useful to God? Is my life currently useful to God? And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then you may still be lost and you might still need to be found. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band back up. I'm almost done. If y'all come on up. And I'd love it, whoever cut the lights on for me, if you'd go ahead and cut the lights back off. You know, when my son Deacon was maybe uh, 18 months or two years old, something like that. He's just a little dude. And uh, I don't know if you remember him, but when we first came to the church here like 10 years ago, uh, Deacon always, every Sunday, he wore a helmet and carried a skateboard. Every Sunday. That's how he came into place. And I think he was trying to teach me something. He's like, Dad, you're going to need one of these helmets. If you're going to pass to this place, you might need one of these things. This is a dangerous spot you're about to walk into. But when he was just a, a, a little dude... And I know all of y'all's kids did this too. This is why I'm calling your attention to it because I want to remind you of it. When Deke was just a little dude, he would do this thing where he would walk up to me and he would take his hands, would already be out like this, and they would be out from like a mile away. And he had this little pasty and his pasty's kind of sticking like half off of his his mouth. And he'd walk up to me and he would just like bump my leg. And he'd hit my leg, and he would look up at me with just these big doe eyes, and he would say, Daddy, hold you? Daddy, hold you? And this was his way of saying, man, do you see me? I'm down here. Hey, pick me up. This was his way of saying, uh, Dad, will you hold me? Just hold me. And so I would always reach down and grab him. I'm going to ask everybody in the room to do something right now, and it's just to close your eyes. Okay? Eyes closed. And if you're watching online, wherever you're at, sit on the couch, wherever I want you to close your eyes to. And this is all I want you to do. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to point anybody out. I'm going to be, I'm going to have my eyes closed too. I'm, I'm not going not to pay attention. But this is what I want you to do. If you are in the room this morning, and if you feel like you are lost, or if you just feel like you've lost your way, like if you just find yourself in a season where you feel like you're struggling, then I want you to assume a position of body prayer where you just stretch your arms out like Deacon reaching up for me. I want you to, with your eyes closed, keep them closed, just bring your arms out and open your palms up like you're ready to be held. And then all I want you to do is I want you to whisper along with me these words. Abba, hold me. Abba, hold me. Abba, hold me. Now that word Abba is just a word that Jesus used in Mark 14 when he was talking about his dad. When he was talking to his dad, it just means daddy. And it's the same, it's the same premise as Deacon. Let me, daddy, hold you. We want Abba, hold me.
Abba, hold me. And I want you to say it as many times as you can say it until you feel connected, until you can hear him speaking back, until you feel those arms reaching down and taking hold of you. And you go, Brock, why do you have us doing something so weird as this, this, this is why, because I know without a shadow of a doubt that my God is relentlessly pursuing everybody right now who can hear my voice. And if you will pause and turn toward him, you can have a meeting with him. Abba, hold me. I'm doing it because I know that some of you in this room are lost and I want you to be found. I'm asking you to do that because I know that it's only in the hands of God that you will know how valued you really are and he will once again make you useful. Abba, we know you relentlessly pursue us. Hold us. Hold us. Hold us. And as Cody and the band begin to lead us in, in worship, I pray you'll just continue to have that encounter, continue to speak, continue to move. We're praying for illumination and application. God has an encounter with you to change you. Ask him, what is it you need to change? How is it you need to leave this place differently? Abba, hold me.